just inspiring to hear those stories of what God is doing in India and uh, to have a, a life goal of planting a hundred churches personally is utterly remarkable. It's one of the reasons that I love New Wine. I've been here about two hours and already my vision is enlarged and my heart is engaged and I've got much to ponder and to think over. We first as a community engaged with New Wine in 1990 when a group of our guys in our church who'd come to faith out of a background in drug addiction uh, had stumbled into a church in Glasgow and uh, we'd heard about this conference in Shepton Mallet and a number of them went to the conference and it was everything that New Wine conferences are. It was exceptional teaching, intimate worship, kingdom ministry. And their task, this group who had just been recently converted, their task was to do the ministry or to operate as a ministry team at a seminar led by John Mumford. And uh, that was a miracle in itself because that John Mumford could understand people from Glasgow and that they could understand him was quite remarkable. Uh, but that was their task, and John was teaching the seminar, and at the end of the seminar, he did what you guys do, and he said, come Holy Spirit, and uh, he invited our team from Glasgow to come to the front to minister, and they stood there all in the line, and again, he said, come Holy Spirit, at which point our whole team fell over. <laughs> Some of them began manifesting demons, and John realized... <laughs> that maybe you needed a different ministry team, but they come back. <laughs> they came back radically changed by what they experienced there. Some of them have gone on to lead very fruitful ministries, and uh, it's because of what you do as a family. It's because of your relentless pursuit of His presence. It's because you will not compromise on intimacy and worship. It's because of the sense of community and family, and it's because you continuously press in to kingdom ministry, and it's why it's always an honor to gather with you. I've been excited about this moment for quite some time and, and to be among you. We are experiencing something in our church back home. Greetings to you from our church back home, we're experiencing something that in our history feels a little bit unprecedented, and perhaps over our time together, uh, I may share some of uh, what we're wrestling with at the moment, but the, the Spirit of God seems to be increasing among us and engaging our town in a whole new way, and we're seeing lots of people uh, encounter Him and come to faith, and uh, I'd love to share some of those stories in, in due course. Uh, what I'm increasingly convinced of is these are remarkable days to be alive. When you hear stories like we just heard, uh, these are remarkable days to be alive, that God's favor is increasing upon His people, and this favor, of course, is for our cities. And what I'd love to do, with your permission in the session together today, what, I, what I'd love to do in this moment is just to talk about the basis for leading the church into the community with the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit in signs and wonders and where that kind of springs from and emanates from. The one thing's for sure, uh, none of us want to see signs and wonders because we want bigger churches. That's not our goal. Our goal in this is we want to create better communities. We want to see people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit and as a result begin to bring transformation to their communities. Again, your vision statement, local churches changing nations. And God's dream is so much greater than the church, isn't it? We love the local church, but we recognize that God is up to something in the world. And truth to tell, we've spent so long expecting God to move in the church that often we've missed what He's doing in the world around us. And He is doing some incredible things and much closer than we dare to imagine. Just this last week there, a little girl who's nine years old and she was at school and one of her friends was upset. 
and her friend went into the toilet in school and she was crying and little Rosie followed her in and she said, what's wrong? And the girl told her and she said, well, I think Jesus could make it better. Do you know Jesus? The little girl said, I don't know Jesus. And Rosie said, he's real good to know. Would you like to know? And right there in the toilets of the school, Rosie led her little friend to Jesus. And God's kingdom is breaking out in toilets. <laughs> it's breaking out in shops, in beauticians, in spas. It's breaking out all over the place. And our task is to kind of catch up with what he's doing all over our community. And, and my temptation today would be to rush into some practices that we can cultivate that'll help us begin to demonstrate the kingdom with compassion and authority in our local communities. But I want to take a step back from that just for a moment and talk about where this stuff is rooted in. Uh, we, we almost want to rush straight away into how do I kickstart the supernatural in my church? How do I create a climate where people are regularly coming to faith? How do I begin to engage the power of everyone, everywhere, every day? How do I, how do I see this? And we almost want these practices, but all of that is rooted in a perspective. And the perspective that we need is rooted in a person, and in particularly in his ascension. So that's why I'd love to spend a little bit of time just unpacking with you this afternoon, if we could, a little bit on the exaltation of Christ. The big picture is that the whole of history and all of humanity is moving irreversibly to the feet of Jesus. That's where the story finds its climax, everything concluding in him. And as we think about leading a church which takes the gospel into the community, we understand that it's because he's exalted that we can be empowered that our empowerment as people comes because Jesus has been raised by the Father. And so we have a couple of texts we're going to explore together today. Uh, put a finger in Ephesians 4.10, if you would, uh, preferably one of your own, and then turn over, <laughs> turn over to Acts chapter 2. And verse 33. He's Peter bringing life to his city at a moment in time, and he's declaring through inspired speech a bold proclamation of the kingdom of God and the gospel. And in the middle of that, he says this, that God has raised this Jesus to life, verse 32, and we're all witnesses of this truth, of this fact. He is exalted to the right hand of God, and he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and here. And Peter understood that the empowering of the Spirit, the things that we long to see, the sounds of the Scripture that we long to hear, that's connected to Jesus being exalted. The exaltation is essential. It's because Jesus is irrefutably righteous that he's been raised by the Father and been seated above the principalities and the powers of this dark age. And the resurrection, we know this together, it's just common ground. The resurrection isn't just the moment where God's power was revealed to us, his resurrection and his ascension is the moment his power was released for us and in us and through us. And so we have this picture of Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father, affirmed in his righteousness and ruling over galaxies and governments with effortless supremacy. Just seated at the Father's right hand. And I don't know about you, but that's super helpful for me that we don't have to work any of this up 
that this isn't something that we have to strive to get breakthrough in our community. How do I get breakthrough in our community? The idea that Christ is exalted begins to fill us with a sense of rest, that God has already done something so marvelous, and we get to simply partner with Him and what it is that He's done. So Paul picks this up in Ephesians 4.10, and he says this. He said, who, who is He who descended? He is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. And that's the phrase that I would love if you have a Bible with you. Uh, just circle that, in order to fill the whole universe. It'll be difficult to circle it on your iPhone. I don't recommend that you do that. But if you have a Bible, just circle, in order to fill the whole universe. And for Paul, this is the, the difference in mindset in Paul. For Paul, it was inconceivable that Jesus would not fill the whole of humanity. It was inconceivable that Jesus wouldn't fill everything with his glory and with his presence. And so he says, he has ascended on high in order to fill the whole universe. Now again, here's why this stuff is important. It's important because if we don't realize that God has already broken in, we pray as though he hasn't broken in. We begin to look for pathways to help him break in. Instead of seeing that God is already doing incredible things, instead of recognizing that transformation that we desperately seek is actually nearer than the temptation that we so often fear, that the nearness of the kingdom has pressed in, that God has already broken in to our communities. There's the evidence of his kingdom spilling out everywhere on everything, the promise of the age to come taking root. And so we begin to see that, we don't look so much for kingdom practices that bring the kingdom into our community. We begin to live our daily life with the lens of the kingdom. We begin to realize, my goodness, God might just break out in Starbucks. God might just break out in my school. God just might break out in Tesco. This week, one of our guys in our church was going into Tesco, finished his work for the day. He's going into Tesco. He noticed the man there with crutches. He said, Lord, I'm tired. Can I give this one a miss? He didn't hear anything, and he said, okay, Lord, if he's still there, like the man's in crutches. <laughs> it's not like he was going to run away, but he said, Lord, if he's still there, when I come out, I'll go pray for him. He does his shopping, and he comes out, and the man's still there. He goes over to them, and he begins engaging in conversation. Long story short, he prays for the man. The man gets instantly healed, and then he introduces him to Jesus. And he does that because he's a lens that the kingdom could break out anywhere at any time, usually somewhere where we least expect it. And the reason that happens isn't because of anything that he did. It's just because Jesus is exalted and keeps pouring out stuff. He's incredibly generous with us. And so when we see him, we don't reach for the kingdom with ever-increasing intensity. You know, we don't have to get into mantras or... You know, we go, oh, God, please come, oh, God, please come, oh, God, please come, oh, God, please come, as, as though our longevity and our intensity somehow leveraged his generosity. He's already here. He's already pouring out what we see and hear. And that's the beauty of the ascension. When we have it, we recognize that the miracles that we see, the signs and wonders that we're going to talk about are rooted in the ascension of Christ. And since Christ is exalted, anything is possible. And because of the ascension, we're not pursuing signs and wonders, but we are expecting them. 
because Christ is exalted. Because of the ascension, demonic strongholds begin to be broken, and it becomes possible for communities to come under the influence of a divine stronghold. One of what the goals that the Father has for our communities is they would become epicenters of influence for the kingdom of God. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus that had been an epicenter of culture, and he's beginning to talk to them about how they've been living under the powers, but how God has come in Christ and transformed their community. And now he's going to take what was an incredible, extraordinary breakthrough moment where the sick were being healed with handkerchiefs and all kinds of miracles and signs and wonders. And he's going to take that moment, and he's going to say, now what I want you to do is contend for the future that is coming and learn to take that moment and create a stronghold in your city. And did you know it's easier to have a divine stronghold than a demonic stronghold? Did you know it's easier for your city to come in under the influence of grace than it is to come under the influence of darkness? Did you know this? It's not rhetorical. It's easier for your city to come under the influence of grace than it is to come under the influence of darkness. Why is it that we believe? I don't know if you do this, but why is it that we so often believe that someone could show up at a seance and be immediately demonized and it would take us ages to get the demon out, but somebody can show up at a service and it can have no impact on them? The truth is, the moment we even come remotely close to the Father, He comes all over us. And God is raising up, not raising up, He's just always been doing this. God is creating communities that are strongholds of His presence. And He's starting with yours. It's where He loves to break in, and He's doing that because Christ is exalted. And it's the revelation of His exaltation that creates the revolution in us we begin to realize that God has raised Christ from the dead. He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but the age to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, we're going to go somewhere in a moment, but here's what I want to say before we journey this. What I'm wanting to say today, what we're journeying here, is not dominion. This is not about taking dominion over our cities. This is not what we're talking about. Jesus has won, now let's enforce his victory. No, no. Jesus has won, what more do we have to lose? Let's stoop in humility and serve our cities. This is not dominion theology, this is compassion theology because we already know we've nothing to lose, we've already won. What more can we do in response to this but give our very lives for the sake of our cities? So it's not a kind of militaristic mindset of, my goodness, my city hates God, if only I could convince my city to like him. It's, my goodness, God is moving all over my city, how do I get involved in what he's doing? And Paul says that Christ is exalted in order to fill the whole universe. Think about that for a moment. The glory of God filling your street, what would that look like? I'd probably have to start liking my neighbors. <laughs> what would it look like if the glory of God filled your street? Communities and cities coming alive because of the rule and reign of Christ. What if there were shifts in spheres of society? And what if that was the goal? That God's presence would be bringing life everywhere to everyone. 
And what if, what if, what if church growth was too low a goal? And what if God was looking for something more all along? I have my friend Phil with me. Phil was recently in a school. Phil, could you come for a moment? Maybe just interview. Um, I don't know if you could grab. Is there a microphone that he could? Wow, that's very tall, Phil. Oh, that one there. It's far better. <laughs> Makes way, way more sense. Phil, you were, you were recently in a school and you were teaching a lesson there. I know you don't know what story I'm going to ask you about. Uh, you were teaching a lesson there and uh, you asked the kids, why don't you believe in God? And they said, um, they said, we can't believe what we can't see. And so what did you say? He says, well, do you want to experience the love of God? Do you want to see him in your life? Yeah. And then what happened? They said, with a smile on their face, go ahead. Um, so once finished. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up getting to, to pray for these guys and we just felt the Holy Spirit touch them. We then started to pray. One guy had a really bad hamstring. Um, I think he had torn it the week before. So we got to pray for that and he got instantly healed in the classroom. And uh, we then just carried on with the lesson. At the end, six kids of that class who had witnessed that came up to us and asked if they could invite Jesus into their lives. Okay. It was a substitute teacher teaching the class, wasn't it? Yep. So that's kind of awkward, isn't it? When the kingdom comes in a class that you've been given oversight over, and, and it's normal for you to see the kingdom break out in schools. Do you know this week how many kids have come to faith in schools? Um, I think three came to faith on Friday yeah. with the youth, and then obviously with Studio 10, we've seen five guys come to faith on yeah. Thursday. Yeah, and another 20 in another school yep. this week. And it's a shift that's taking place. Thank you, Phil. It's a shift that's taking place. And that's the goal. Not simply, <laughs> not simply that we fill our churches, but that God wants to fill our classrooms with his glory and his beauty and his majesty and his presence and all of that. Now, how do we begin to move towards that? What do we do within that? And this is where we begin to drive into what it is that we're going to open up in, in these times together. Uh, because pretty much, if, if you're like me at all, pretty much the way I used to think this worked is uh, the way to change the city is to get a really big church and then hope somehow by osmosis. I was never quite sure how it was going to work, but I figured it was somehow like that. If, you, if our church was just big enough, our city would take note and somehow, <laughs> I don't know, somehow it would change. And uh, what we've realized where we are is if we're going to lead our communities into life, if we're going to begin to see the kingdom show up with compassion and authority and demonstrate signs and wonders, that that's got to happen outside of our gathered environments. But that's got to go beyond simply our services where we get together. The fill and spill technique won't work. Now we do need, we do need more relevant, life-giving, transforming churches. We need more churches that are renewed. We need more people who are incredibly passionate about gathering in the presence of God. We need that. We need people who long to gather together. And then what we need are people who carry that presence everywhere they go so that it begins to bleed into everyday life and ordinary moments. And we need gathered environments, but in themselves, they're insufficient to bring life to the city. 
And we have to figure out this way of how can we begin to release the power of everyone, everywhere, every day? How can we as leaders see our churches begin to change lives beyond the building? And uh, Mark referenced healing on the streets there. I'll never forget the first time we did this. My friend Mark, Mark's is here. Mark catalyzed and pioneered that. And I remember when I remember when he first came to our church and he told me about all the stuff that he'd seen Jesus do. And you know when somebody's sharing stories, you're like, I don't think so. <laughs> you probably are never like that. I'm like, I don't think that happened. And I couldn't really say prove it because that was like a little too skeptical. But what I did say is, um, how about we try that one time in the streets? And so Mark, much to my... Uh, disappointment said, sure, let's do it. And he set a date for us to do that. And out we went onto the streets, and it looked nothing like it looks today. It didn't have banners. We had some chairs, and we had a little thing that we had to hold. And Mark wrote on it, healing at 3 p.m. Now, I'm a good vineyard pastor. We don't guarantee healing at all. So I would have been much more comfortable if he'd said prayer at 3 p.m. That would have worked far better for me in our fledgling church plant. And uh, I remember the, f- the first lady who came was actually an Indian lady. She came with her daughter. She had arthritis in her knees. And uh, Mark did something that you have to understand now is like it's, it's so normal for us. But at that point, I'd never seen it before. He asked her about the length of her legs. And to me, it seemed like an inappropriate question. She has bad knees. Why are you asking her if she has one leg shorter than the other? It's, it's, um, it just seemed inappropriate. Anyway, he, he takes her legs and he notices that one leg is considerably shorter than the other. And then he did something a little bit crazy. He began to shout to the people who were passing by, come and see a miracle. And I'm thinking, oh no, oh no. <laughs> come and see a miracle. This lady's leg's about to grow. And I'm thinking, no, it's not. It's really not. <laughs> see, I, I, I had enough experience of healing in the church to know that it doesn't often work. And so we were out there, and he prays. And to, to this day, I don't know what you prayed, Mark. I don't know if you had your model prayer then or your best prayer then. I don't know what he prayed. But the next minute, the lady's leg shoots out. Like, and, and it wasn't a small gap. It's amazing she didn't spend her life just walking in circles. It was a big, <laughs> it was a big gap. prays for her knees and says, how isn't the lady says it's better? And I'm thinking, that can't be. And because I hadn't experienced much of God's presence and healing in the church, I'd assumed divine absence in the community. And I couldn't have been more wrong. And what I did, shame on me, what I did is the lady got a good few yards down the road and I chased after her because I'd remembered some people had said to me, look, Indian people are quite deferential. And so sometimes they'll say things, but it's not always. And I chased this lady down the street and I said, I'm the pastor of the church that guy goes to. It's okay if you didn't get healed, you can tell me. <laughs> so you go, there's my shameless confession or shameful confession. She, her daughter looked at me and she said, my mother's healed. Like, what's wrong with you? Kind of in... <laughs> And so began a journey for us as a community of trying to catch up with where God was breaking out in our community. Changed everything that day for me. I could never go back to assuming that God wasn't at work on our streets. 
And gathered environments are wonderful, but there's something amazing and incredible that happens when the church begins showing up in the community. And what we've discovered and what uh, I submit to you is this, when we show up, He shows up. And when we show up, He brings what He has. We bring what we have. We'll talk about this tonight. We bring our vulnerability and our awkwardness, our fear. Mark brings faith and presence and peace. I bring awkwardness, vulnerability, (laughs) and fear. And God shows up in generosity and incredible love and signs and wonders, and He does what He alone can do in this moment. And as we show up, He shows up. And as He shows up, something shifts. And sometimes we think, gosh, if only we could see signs and wonders in our community, it would change everything. Everyone would begin to recognize that God is alive, and it would show them that God has power and all of that stuff. And the truth is, that may be true somewhere, It's certainly not been our experience in that. Actually, quite often what we found, we've seen incredible healings of cancer, every conceivable cancer healed, and very many of those folks decide that they don't want to journey life with Jesus. They're grateful for the life He's given them, but they don't necessarily want to journey life with Him at the center. And that's okay. Wasn't that Jesus' experience too? He would feed them and they would leave Him. He would heal them and they would leave Him. He would do incredible, exceptional miracles and they would leave And somehow we bought into this theory that all I need to see my community come to God is a power encounter. And the truth is maybe, maybe possibly, the truth is that actually power encounters don't change our community, but they really change us. And when God begins to use us to demonstrate His kingdom, we can never be the same again. And what God does is He takes that moment And he reminds us that he's put authority in the hands of his servants, even fearful, bashful servants. And he's put his authority in their hands. And when you begin to see it, when we come into environments of need again, we can never pretend that we don't have a solution. We may feel a little awkward offering it. But when we recognize what rests upon us, it begins to reset everything. Kingdom begins to show up. And we can never see broken humanity outside the lens of divine possibility again. We're just changed. We're changed. And our prayer as we think about leading our church into the community with signs and wonders, my prayer is that we would begin to understand the authority that God's put in us. I love Christy. I loved her, her message today. I love who she is. I love what she carries. I love her heritage. One of her father in law's inflection points in his journey was when God spoke to him and he said, I want to know when you're going to use your authority. And I believe today God is speaking to his church and he's saying, I want to know when you're going to use your authority. I've given you some authority. I want to know how are you going to use that to lead your community into life. And when we begin to use it, we begin to see the kingdom invade and God intervene in ways that are just absolutely delightful. A couple of weeks ago, there were were a group of kids coming home from school. I believe it was five of them. One of them had fractured, was it his collarbone, James? Collarbone. A friend of ours happened to notice this, and uh, he did what he's trained to do. He went and offered prayer. And uh, he prayed for the guy, and the guy's collarbone got healed. And there and then, this postmodern generation, was it five of them? Five of them gave their life to Jesus. 
these little kids just on the street. This Friday, the same guy's out again. His daughter had told him in the morning, said, he said to his daughter, how many people do you think uh, might come to Jesus today? And she said, 10, Dad. And he thought, that's a bit many. Could have coped with two. Ten's difficult. And by about three o'clock in the afternoon, he'd led three people to Jesus. And then he saw a group of seven guys, and he thought, this is my group. <laughs> three plus seven equals. And he thought, okay. And he went over to them. And he told them, my daughter today told me. This is his evangelistic technique. Catch this. <laughs> my daughter today told me that I would lead ten people to Jesus. So far, I've only led three. You're the other seven. And there and then, on the streets, kneeling on the streets, they gave their life to Christ. All seven of them. Isn't that an incredibly good technique? I'm going I'm to bring out like a track on that, right? That's, that's just amazing. Now, what is that? That's uh, someone who's been transformed. It's a scattered seven. Now, here's the thing about this guy. Like, he is wild. I can't control him. He's embarrassing. It's like Mark. <laughs> what I mean by that is like he does crazy things. But our task as leaders is to lead people according to the greatness that God has put in them. This is why Solomon's great prayer is such a challenge to us, isn't it? God, give me wisdom to lead this. I thought for sure you guys would know that first. Give me wisdom to lead this great people of yours. And I don't know why, but I'd always read that text as though it was speaking about the number, and I'm sure it is speaking about the number also. Give me wisdom to lead this so many people. But this last year, God's just been gripping my heart, and he's been saying to me, I want you to lead people according to their greatness, according to the design that I've put in them. I want you to stop trying to control them to fit into your structure, and I want you to lead them according to the greatness that I've put in them. If you'll do that, I begin to bring life. And we took this guy on, and uh, people kept saying, don't take him on. He's not great in a team. So this, is this being recorded? <laughs> to which I said, no, he is great in a team. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say if we're going to release scattered servants, then they're going to do it differently. And we can grow gathered environments, and gathered environments can grow our churches, but only scattered servants can change our cities. And when they're scattered, it's real hard to see what they're up to. Yes? I can't spot it and stop it if I can't see them. Clearly, as leaders, you're not as controlling as I. <laughs> it's just real hard. They, they keep, and they just keep making mess. We got barred from Asda. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. We love Asda. They're kind. They give us food for the poor. We like them. We got barred. It's 
messy. We have to go and apologize and say, we're so sorry. They didn't mean to be praying for the sick and you for it. Won't happen again. And they just start, to, they think they can do ministry everywhere. You don't realize that intensive care units are inappropriate places to invade. They have no respect for boundaries. Read one guy in his work this week. He's been a Christian 19 and a half years. He said a prayer meeting in the morning, he went into work in the afternoon, uh, in the morning, went to work later that morning. And he thought, I should tell this colleague about Jesus. And he did. And the colleague said, I'd like to, I'd like to give my life to Jesus. And he thought, I don't know how to do that. So he got on the phone and phoned someone in her church to say, how do I lead someone to Jesus? And scattered servants, they're just messy. They're messy. But God is doing something with scattered servants. And the future of the church lies in the hands of scattered servants, people who know who they are, who know what they carry, and for whom nowhere is difficult. And I want to submit to you as we near the close here, that something shifts in our communities when we cease thinking, I need someone who carries the anointing to show up. And we begin thinking, I am a person who carries the anointing. I am a person who carries the anointing. I carry it awkwardly. <laughs> it's with the, the guys at Soul Survivor last month and that they have a conference called Naturally Supernatural. I say, I feel fraudulent. There's nothing about the supernatural that feels natural to me. It almost feels really awkward and odd and vulnerable. I don't know how to pull it off and look cool. <laughs> but it just costs me everything. I, I, I don't know how to do that. But God is putting favor on everyday people. And we need to change our thinking towards, I am a person who carries the anointing. However awkwardly that sits with us, I think then we have the opportunity to see the kingdom break out in our communities in increasing measure. We want to empower everyone. And I know you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't give up a Monday afternoon in your life. You wouldn't travel from wherever you've traveled from. You wouldn't gather in a moment like this if it wasn't burning in your heart to see the church become everything she can be and your community filled with God's glory. You wouldn't give up your time and your energy and spend your resource if you didn't have this deep-seated desire to see everyone in your community come alive with the grace of God. To take it beyond the building. To begin to demonstrating the kingdom in signs and wonders. And I think, I think when we begin showing up, signs start falling. And so I close with this. It's a young girl in our church. God had moved powerfully in her life, rescued her through adoption. And uh, her experience, though, had left her a little broken, and so she medicated her pain. She did so by self-harming. And one day she's out, she's drinking coffee, not thinking about anything in particular, and some folks literally bump into her, spilling her coffee. And she, after a brief conversation, she notices that one of them, it's a summer's day, which doesn't often happen in Ireland, and she notices that one of them is wearing a long sleeve top, and she thinks maybe she self-harms. So she asks the girl, what's wrong with your arm? 
And the girl rather sheepishly begins to pull up her sleeve and show her scars. And this girl in our community, she begins to pray. And as she prays, the scars in the girl's arm disappear. And my first thought on that is, how can we prove that happened? <laughs> that is my first thought. Like, genuinely. Like, how can we prove that? How do we know? Like, I could go anywhere and say, 25 people came to Jesus today. You wouldn't know. Yeah. I thought, how can we prove that happened? Then she sent me the photos, and I thought, maybe that happened after all. <laughs> sent the photos, and I, we showed the photos in some gatherings, and we, we showed the photos. People with scars would look down, and their scars would be disappearing. And God just began to do amazing things in that young girl's life. And she'll probably, we'll never invite her onto our team. But she's already in his team, right? She'll never lead a church service if I have anything to do with it. <laughs> but my goodness, she's bringing life to her city in ways that I never could. And we have to find a way to transfer the power because there's more power in the pew than there is in the pulpit. And the size of your church is immaterial. But the authority resting in your church and on your church is inconceivable. What God can do with those few would literally blow our minds as we take it beyond the building. So here's what we're going to do. I don't know, are there incredible restaurants in here? There are. Oh, there goes that theory. Uh, is there enough food to feel, feed us all in this building? Okay, you're like, uh, is he going to do like 5,000? No, no, no. It's not. <laughs> if only. <laughs> if only. Uh, we're about to go eat. And some of you are going to have to go somewhere to eat. And what you're going to discover in that place where you go to eat is that God went before you. That he's already shown up there. And we're going to make that kind of ministry time if that's okay. And just see how he does ministry time outside the building. And so what I would encourage you to do as you go eat, and I don't feel it as a pressure thing, only if you're so inclined, as you go eat, you might say this to your waiter or waitress. Uh, you might say, you know what? We normally pay, pray over this meal, but I've noticed it's dead. <laughs> and today, just for a change, I'd like to pray for something that's alive. Would it be okay if I prayed for you? And just see. Just see what he does. Or you might feel the Holy Spirit whisper and prompt you for someone sitting beside you at another table or nearby. And you might go up to them and you're palms might be sweating and your mouth might be dry and you're just going to lick your palm you're going to say to them <laughs> I don't know if this makes any sense to you but when I looked at you I saw and wouldn't it be amazing wouldn't it be amazing like this is just a dream for me forgive me I've gone into self-indulgence but wouldn't it be amazing if God did more outside of here over the next couple of days through us 
than he did in here, and we want him to do tons in here. Wouldn't that be amazing? Be amazing. So um, let me, if I can, let me just absolve you by saying grace now for the food. <laughs> so you can guilt-free enjoy the food. <laughs> Father, we're so grateful for everything that comes from your heart and everything that comes from your hand. We thank you that you hold our cities in your hand. We thank you for this community. We thank you for Harrogate. We thank you that it lays itself down so that we can experience the blessing and fullness this week. Father, we pray for our food. We ask your blessing upon it. We ask your favor on our conversations. Would you prompt us? Would you give us courage? Would you help us to pray and to speak words of life and hope and healing and honor? Father, today, would you cause your power to rest upon your church for the sake of the surrounding community? In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.